You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.church. Yeah, we are in a series called Signs and Wonders, and I love this series because I got to say, it never made much sense that, that God wouldn't break into our natural world and do supernatural stuff, signs and wonders. That never made sense to me. I mean, by definition, he's God, so I, that's his job, isn't it? He does, that's what he does, you know? That's what I would expect uh, from, from uh, God. But I got to say, I also get it that, that the miraculous and signs and wonders can be a little uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes there's excess. We've We've all seen that. So um, it kind of does have a weird factor sometimes, and, and um, that's true if we're, if we're honest. But, you know, when you think about it, there's, there's kind of a simple solution to that. If you took your Bible and, and maybe a straight-edge razor or maybe a, 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 a pocket knife and just kind of, just kind of cut out... The stuff uh, that's miraculous, the signs and wonders, um, you could kind of you could kind of normalize the whole situation, right? You you know Jesus would be kind of this this normal dude who you know says to lead a good life and and it kind of take us off the hook, right? Because he couldn't ask us anything very hard and. Uh, and we just kind of cruise into heaven, you know, living our best life, maybe, maybe season up our life with a little bit of Jesus, you know, into the cook pie, and then that being, we're good to go. Uh, you, know, you know what's funny? There's actually somebody who did that. Did you know that? They, what an entrepreneur, and he published it. It's called uh, uh, The Life and Morals of, of Jesus of Nazareth. What he did was he took, his, he took his straight razor, right, and he cut out all the signs and wonders, and then published it and sold it. <laughs> and do you, know, you know who he was? This is funny. He was the president of the United States. Do you know who it was? It wasn't Biden. We always, we always blame Biden for everything. It wasn't Biden. It was Thomas Jefferson, the third president. Isn't that funny? And it was about in 1800, and, and he published it. You can buy it on Amazon. It's called the, uh, the Jefferson Bible. But this is the thing. You can't do that to the Holy Bible, you know? It's just wrong. It's, it's intellectually dishonest. It's academically dishonest. It's revisionist. And it's just wrong. You, that's just kind of out of bounds. And what's kind of interesting is even the secular world believes that. I ran across an article just two years ago, 2021, in the liberal secular New Yorker magazine. And it was about, it was an article about the Jefferson Bible. And this is what the, this is what the, the, the secular guy said. It's uh, put it up on the screen. It's up on the screen. Jefferson's attempt to make Jesus more reasonable only made the story of Jews, Jesus, lose its power. Reasonable. That's even kind of a funny word, reasonable. Who grows up? Who grows up saying, you know what? When I, when I grow up, I want to be reasonable. <laughs> you know, if, if one of my boys grew up and said, dad, I know what I want to do with my life. I, I've got my life goal. I want to be reasonable. You know, I think I'd shake them. I mean, that's not compelling. That's not, that's not interesting. That's not motivating. That's just, um, 
this, I don't know, it's just kind of weird. And, and I think that um, the secular world may be trying to tell us something. That, you know what? They don't want a reasonable Jesus. They want to they wanna, they wanna see the real Jesus. I read three really interesting articles this week. All about uh, the real Jesus by, by, from secular sources. The first, the first one was um, a review of, about the, the He Gets This campaign. How many people saw the Super Bowl? Super Bowl? Did you see at the end there was a black and white ad that, that He Gets Us? You know, that wasn't a reasonable Jesus. Jesus was a refugee. That wasn't a reasonable Jesus that was portrayed. I read another article in the Wall Street Journal this week uh, about the, the, the crowdsourced TV series about Jesus, The Chosen. And it said, you know, this is great stuff and super positive. And the last one was a review from a Hollywood trade magazine about uh, the, uh, the Jesus Revolution and and how it's the third most popular movie to date. This week, it's, it's rated number three right after R-rated R the cocaine bear. Lots of options out there for us, clearly. Uh, but, but, but think about what the secular world is saying to us. Um, I don't think that they want a Jesus with no power. They don't want a Jesus with no uh, signs and wonders. And it just kind of occurs to me, maybe we believers shouldn't be cutting out the unreasonable parts of the Christian life so that we can just be more reasonable. Maybe we need to be a little bit more unreasonable and a little bit less reasonable. The title of the sermon is titled, Be Unreasonable. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us. We, we pray that you would speak to us, to, to, to our, our heart, what you want to say. And I pray that your power would be on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um... The story that I'm going to read was absolutely cut out of the Jefferson Bible. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's John, John chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Let the, let the word of God just rust on you. The early church didn't have sermons. They just would read the scripture, and that gave them the power to withstand the persecution and, and expand the church like they did. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him when it, wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew Simon's, Peter, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. 
There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, said Jesus. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The, people, the, the men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So this is a, a very familiar story, maybe over-familiar in some ways, and we just read it. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to just kind of narrate us through the story, and I want to look at, at three things. The first thing I want to look at is the huge crowd and what and who they were, and the second is uh, um, the disciples, and the third is Jesus and how Jesus taught the disciples to do signs and wonders. And so the, those are the three things that we're going to look at. And, and I just like to, to encourage you to try to, try to locate where you fit in this story. Do you, are you identifying with the crowd more? You're, you're kind of checking things out, which is so good, but you're not absolutely clear on all this, uh, on all this Jesus stuff. You're, you're still looking into it. Or... Are you one of the committed? Are, are you someone who's been recruited by him? And, and, and you're following him. So much to learn from the disciples. Then, of course, we'll be focusing in on, on Jesus. So the context, real quickly, is that Jesus and the disciples have, have made the journey down to Jerusalem, maybe a, maybe a 10-day trip, dusty, hot, First century sandals don't have good arch support, you know. They kind of, they kind of. It was tense down there with the lawyers of, uh, of of Jerusalem, and now they made the trip back, <clears throat> and the crowd is just aggressive. They they can't get enough of Jesus because they've seen the healings, they've seen the signs and wonders, and so. This is what I think. So Jesus takes his disciples and he goes across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is about eight miles. And, and, and Galilee is beautiful. It's verdant and green. And, and, and they go up on a grassy slope and they can see the shimmering Sea of Galilee. But they can also see across the crowds coming because the crowds, the crowds are unrelenting. And, and, and you can see all the way across the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And so they're coming. And, um, um, and that's, and, and so the huge crowd, who, who, are, who is the, the huge crowd? Um, what are the, the huge crowd? They're reasonable. That's what they are. They're the reasonable ones. And, and, um, um, being reasonable for them brings Stability. It, it, it causes them to stay in their lane. If you're a first century fisherman, you, you, you stay in your lane and you remain a fisherman. You don't drop your nets, walk off the job, and join a band of Jesus followers. That's, that's not reasonable. That's not a reasonable option. And um, the, uh, 
the Galileans had learned to be reasonable. They've learned to stay in their lanes because they know that if they don't stay in their lane, there are many garrisons of Roman soldiers just north of them on the other side of the Assyrian border and they'll come down and they'll make sure that those Galileans will stay in their lanes. These people are uh, oppressed. They're oppressed politically because it's an occupied country. They're oppressed economically because they're massively overtaxed. And they're, they're oppressed spiritually because Rome rules. What they need is someone to fight for them. What they need is a champion. Um, but, but they don't know who that is. Not yet. But they're leaning into it because they're, they're hoping for a, 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 a military leader, a Messiah, who will overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's, that's the first group. The, the crowd, the huge crowd, they're reasonable. Second group are the disciples. Um, the, the disciples are unreasonable. I mean, um, there's nothing more unreasonable than when you're living in a region that is violently oppressed, politically, economically, spiritually, and every way, and, 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 and you walk away from your livelihood and the livelihood of your family and join a group of people who have no money and the leader keeps saying things that are going to get him killed, and they, in fact, do get him killed. That's not reasonable. That's unreasonable. They're, by definition, unreasonable. They leave everything to go follow Jesus. So those are the two groups, reasonable, unreasonable. And I think that, I think that it begs the question, you know, what... What gets into a person in, 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 a, in a situation that's that dangerous um, to make a choice like that, to be unreasonable? I think, it's, I think it's pretty simple, actually. I think the answer is pretty clear. Knowing Jesus is more compelling than being reasonable. Knowing Jesus is more compelling than being reasonable. And, and, and I think many of you would, would attest that, that living a kingdom lifestyle is far more intriguing and exciting than living a controlled, risk-averse, safe, reasonable existence. I think, I think both of those are... are, are together. And, and I just want to ask the question, you know, the, the, what's, what's been on me is, is the knowing Jesus part. And I just want to ask, ask you, when is the last time that you, you know, you got alone and you sat down on your couch and you just got to know Jesus again? You talked with Jesus Maybe you listened to Jesus again. You haven't done that in a while. Maybe you, you read your Bible and, and you just got to know him again. When's the last time you did that? You know, the Bible um, 
tells us so much about Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a warrior king in the line of David. Do you know why King David is, is famous? It's not because he had a heart after God. He did have that, but he's famous because he was a warrior king. And this is what he did. He pushed back the boundaries of the enemy to the north and to the south, to Egypt, the superpowers, to the, to the west, the Phoenicians, and to the east, the Ammonites, all the way to present-day Ammon, Jordan. And he made Israel safe again. That's why he's famous. Even today, what's on the Israel flag? The Star of David. King Jesus does the same thing. He pushes back the boundaries of our enemies, whatever those enemies are. It might be depression, it might be illness, whatever. And to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, he pushes back the boundaries, he pushes back the evil, and he makes this safe again. He's our warrior king. He comes to fight on our behalf. And it's sweet. And we need it badly. <laughs> Jesus came from heaven. I want to just, I just want to throw out a couple of things that will cause us to worship him this week. Jesus isn't just a good warrior king. He's, he's God. He, he's the one we worship. So Jesus came from heaven. That means he pre-existed. That means he wasn't a creating, created being like me and my dog Dexter and you. He's the creator. And scripture says that everything was, was made in him and through him. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God. That means he was close beside God the Father. And he was God, that means he was God the Son. And then the most amazing thing happened. He chose to come to earth. Right, And he became a first century Jewish male, 100% human. And at the same time, he was the same essence, the same substance, the same stuff as God the Father, walking around, uh, you know, first century Palestine. Think about that. What would you do if that's, what, what would he do? What do you suppose he would do? Well, this is what he did. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. He, 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 he came and, and when we think, and inaugurated the kingdom of God. When we think of inauguration, we think of uh, the president being inaugurated. That's when the president begins his term of office. And we have, we have term limits, thank goodness. And uh, with the kingdom of God, there are no term limits. It's eternal. When Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom of God forever. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. That means that the kingdom of God happens. It rules wherever Jesus functions as king. So if you decide to invite Jesus to function at your job, in your office, in your classroom, in, you know, uh, wherever. He functions as king, and the kingdom of God has come to your workplace. And watch out, because things are going to happen. If you invite the king to come and function as king in your own life, the kingdom of God has come to your life. Watch out. Things are going to happen. 
And so, and so King Jesus, our warrior king, wages war against this world, or what St. Paul called this present evil age. It's not that all the world is evil, it's that spiritually King Jesus is waging war against this present age. And what happens? Wherever, wherever Jesus goes, demons flee. He says, he, 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 he says, come out, and the demon flees. He, he, he says to the sick person, be healed, and the, he, and the sickness flees. He says to creation, he says to the, to the storm, to the wind and the waves, be still. And the sea is immediately calm. He's waging war. And this is what's so compelling about the Christian life to me. And I'm sure to you too. He calls us, his disciples, to join him in that kind of battle. There is no other kind of battle. There is no other kind of warfare. It's all spiritual. And as I was standing here and, 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 and we were singing at the back, I just had a sense that we're not waging war like we need to. And I think that's a word to our church. Because many of us have been here for a long time and we know, we know all this, but we're not doing it enough. And so I just want to put that out there. Um, and this is what's so interesting, you know. They were expecting, you've heard this before, they were expecting a warrior king to come and, and kick the Romans out and establish the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't say to the disciples, okay, now go, go kill some Romans. That's not, that's not the warfare of Jesus. The warfare of Jesus is, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And in our culture, it's kind of funny, you know, Prayer is seen as, as kind of like maybe a, a, a life enhancement practice. Like, you know, it's like kind of like stretching or, or, or drinking green tea or something. Like, oh, we, we just pray. I just pray. For, you know, no, to Jesus, prayer is war because there's evil. And Jesus came to defeat the evil. So Jesus taught the disciples, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means he's calling down all of the provision and sustenance of heaven, all of the majesty and authority and power of heaven down to earth. That's what he's doing. And he's also, he's also saying, thy will be done. What does that mean? It means whatever God wants to do. He's calling down whatever God wants to do. And, 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 and that's our job. Jesus, whatever you want to do. I lived in the Middle East for 11 years and had the privilege... Oh, Of, of standing next to the, the Christians there 
who'd been there since Jesus' ministry. I knew people whose ancestors had gone back to Jesus' ministry because Jesus came through into Jordan. And they would always say, you know, Pastor Fief would always say, whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes. If you want ISIS to come down and take over, whatever it takes, so we can know who Jesus is. That's what they would say. And, And so what Jesus is assuming when he teaches the disciples to pray, is that they listen. And can I just say we're not good at that as Americans? <laughs> I mean, did you, did you think back to schooling. Did you take a class on listening? Did you, did you, were there any course offerings on listening at CSU or whatever? You know, I taught in PSD. I never taught a class on listening. We're not good at it. We're good at talking. We can talk and talk and talk. And when we pray, you know what we do? We talk and talk and talk, but we don't listen. And so, and so Jesus is assuming that, that, that we um, learn how to uh, listen to God for the solution to the problem. Um, so this is, this, we can see this in our story. So, so Jesus... Jesus is, is coming from the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east, and, and he's walking, and, and he knows that the crowd's coming, and he knows, he, he knows that, um, you know, it's late, and he's going to have to feed him. And so he's done the hard work of listening, the hard work of listening. And let me just push the pause button for a minute and, and ask you a question. Why doesn't Jesus just function out of his divinity? We just said that he's the same essence and substance and stuff as God the Father. Why doesn't he just kind of function out of his divinity and, and do all the stuff? It's because when he came to earth, he chose to limit himself. A great section of scripture is, is Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus took on the role of a servant. He wasn't a servant. He's God, but he took on the role of a servant. And then it has that, that verse of, of, about he didn't consider him uh, equality with God, something to be grasped. You know that verse, the one you, you read it and you go, what does that mean again? <laughs> it just means that he chose not to function out of his divinity. Equality with God was not something that he did, but he, 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 he chose to be a human. And this is how we know what his MO was. The way that he operated, he says about five chapters earlier in John 5, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. Well, if he was functioning out of his divinity, he wouldn't say that, would he? He can do only what he sees his father doing. This is Jesus talking. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. So, so, so the reason he did that is so he could model for us how to do it because we're followers of Jesus and we learn from the master. So he chose to function out of his humanity and teach us how to do it. Okay, push the play button again. So Jesus has already done the hard work of listening He's already wrestled down his flesh. Can you imagine the second person of the Godhead wrestling down his flesh so that he could hear the Father? But that's what he did. 
and he called out and he cried out until he heard God. And you know what? We don't, we don't do the hard work. That's, that's part of why some of us are stuck. Is because we don't do the hard work of, of connecting and listening to the Father. And that's what Jesus did. And, and we know it because the text says he already knew what he was going to do. He'd wrestled it down and he knew what he was going to do. Then he asks the hard question to the disciples. How are we going to feed all these people? And the, the response is so predictable, isn't it? You know, one, one guy goes, Philip goes, hey, we don't have enough. Uh, yeah, we don't have enough money. That's our problem. No, not, no money. And he goes, oh, we don't have enough food, you know. See, I want this to land. Jesus functioned out of his relationship with his father. And what, what was the result? Massive abundance, more than enough. Philip and Andrew and the rest of the disciples functioned out of their relationship with Thomas Jefferson or, or something, you know, <laughs> you know, a naturalist. What you see is all there is. And what was the result? Not enough. Oh, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough. And, and, I, and, and that's our choice. That's, that's our choice. Not enough or more than enough. According to public opinion polls, the vast number of Americans, the vast majority of Americans are functional theists. That means that God is a theory. And that's true even in the church. There's large portions of the church that are cessationists. That means that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, that they're not expecting miracles. And... uh, I think that that is true, and I'm talking about the church now, because we're not desperate enough. We're not desperate for him. Not enough. You know, in the Middle East, they're desperate. They're desperate. When we lived in Jordan, 80% of the population was pro-ISIS. They are desperate, and you know what? They see things. And when they worship, they worship. And, and God has so blessed us, but, but, but we need Jesus every day. And, and so um, I just want to suggest that maybe we're a little too reasonable and, and we need to be a little, little bit more unreasonable. I want to end with a, 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 a video clip that I just couldn't, not um, play. It was, uh, it's of, uh, let me tee it up. It's, a, it's the city dump of Juarez, Mexico. And Jesuit, a Jesuit priest has his ministry there. And um, it shows the values of the kingdom. Power, but humility and no hype. And I just want this to sort of rest on you as we, as we watch this three and a half minute video clip.
are they looking for as they scavenge through through this? Is this this is the way they this earn is, their this is, this is the way they earn their living. They uh, work with a whole like tool. It's either it's got one or two prongs at the end of it, uh -huh. and they'll sift through the garbage. Uh -huh. They'll separate the cans and the bottles. They'll separate cardboard, paper. Mm -hmm. They'll separate food, mm -hmm. and uh, they'll get it all in one pile, and then they'll sell it to the co-op. Mm -hmm. And the co-op will get it all up and sell it all collectively to outside businesses. So in fact, these people are earning their livelihood by picking this material out of the this, garbage. This is, their, this is their work. This, this is their work and this is their livelihood. Six, this... seven days a week they work here. Well, we got out there and found that the dump was divided into two areas. Two labor unions had it divided and one group could not go in the other group's area and that group could not go in this area. So there's Father Thomas and Guillermina Villalba going back and forth between the two unions, kind of uh, negotiating peace. Mm -hmm. While we were trying to negotiate between the two groups, Dr. Villalba told us not to get them together because there wasn't enough food. There was a lot more people than we had thought we had, but anyway, we neglected to follow his advice and got the two groups together and found it was about 350 people, and we'd brought food for 125. So. One labor union stood on one side of the tables, the other labor union stood on the other side of the tables, not having any contact with each other. We said a little prayer and said, now we don't have enough food for everybody, but we'll share with you what we got. And from there, the people formed a line. They passed through the line, and we were giving everybody what we had. And at the end, we had a lot of food left over because we had more than enough. They all ate, we ate, they took food home time after time and came back and got more food and took it back home. So what was happening? God was actually multiplying? The... Yes, in fact, one of the men here working at the store is Frank Alarcon. He was on the back of his pickup truck. At the, he was standing on the camper looking down at the tailgate. And they let the tailgate of my truck down and this lady starts cutting this ham. And she's cutting a ham and she's giving out pieces of ham, good, good pieces of ham, big pieces of ham. And I'm looking at the ham and I'm looking at the people and everybody's eating and everybody's having a great old time and they're still giving out food. And I look down at the ham, there's a big old ham and this lady just cutting away. When it was all over, we had so much food left over. We, all the 350 people ate. There was eight carloads from the prayer communities ate, and everybody had enough to eat. They took all the food home, and we still had so much food that we had to go to three different orphanages to get rid of it on the way back home. So, in fact, the food was multiplied. The food God was performed a miracle right here on Christmas Day. Oh. <laughs> I just love that. Let's pray.